0: Chronicles chapter 34 through 36, and please bear with me, I know there's a lot of verses tonight, but I want to put these three chapters in context because we're going to see the decline of a nation after a good king. So, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we we do pray for our brothers and sisters in the western states and Lord, in the north as well that are still locked down and aren't able to meet, Lord, as the body of Christ, as you have commanded us to do, as we will see when we get to Hebrews. And so, Lord, that you would strengthen them during this time. Lord, that you would strengthen us all during these times. And as we will see today, Lord, the cure for it all, for the body of Christ, is your word. It is your Holy Spirit that gives us the power, the dunamis, to live this life. So, Lord, thank you again, and bless those who are watching us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. We are thankful our system went down during worship, so it's back up. Great to see everybody online tonight. I I feel like um, somebody's against us. Every, please, when you come in, just pray for the computers. Literally, that the technology works. There is no reason for what, the, the problems we have, but we continue to have them every once in a while. God's trying to get this message out, <laughs> and the devil's trying every, everything he can to squash it, but we won't let him. Amen? Amen. Josiah became King at eight, year, can you imagine an eight-year-old king having the keys to the kingdom? What do you do with a kid like that? You can't tell him no, he' doesn't, he doesn't want the lucky charms for breakfast. He's the king. He reigns 31 years in Jerusalem. And I love how the Bible by the Holy Spirit describes this in verse two that he did what was right, in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of his father David, and he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. So where are we? We left off with Amnon, who was the son of Manasseh, who Manasseh was the most wicked king, remember that from last week, and yet had the greatest redemption in the Bible next to Paul. And he came back to the Lord, started to have reforms inside of Israel, did what he could, but his son Abnon took the reins and plunged the nation right back into idolatry. And Josiah comes on the throne at eight years old after having a wicked father. So, note with me in verse 3, for in the um, eighth year of his reign while he was still young he began to seek the god of his father david and in the 12th year he began to purge judah and jerusalem of the high places and of the wooden images and the carved images and the molded images now think about this he's got the priest around him whoever is tutoring him he is learning about the things of the lord at eight years old don't dumb down god's word even to the little ones. But notice there is a progression there. And about four years later, at 12 years old, he starts these reforms. Now remember, this is him him being schooled in this and being taught, but at 12 years old, he gives the command to start this work. What does that tell me? That tells me that young people can seek the Lord their God. That's why, I don't mean to be the broken record, That's why we're trying to do what we're doing up in Arrowwood. So that we can get young people, notice, while they're still young, to start to seek the God of their fathers. He says that he started to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places of the wooden images and the carved images and the molded images. Now, we've seen this before from some of the kings. We've seen some reform that has come in. Yeah, uh, When I used to go to Mauritius all the time, that was a little island in the middle of the Indian Ocean a long time ago. And every once in a while when I'd go there, I'd see some road projects. And I said, what's going on? they're like, oh, an election's coming. Uh, they, they fixed this road or that road, and then people think, oh, the leader's doing a good job. And then when the election's done, nothing happens inside of the country. And I thought to myself, Well, that's interesting. That's kind of like how we are in our nation. Some reforms here or there, but we're going to see that while some did some reforms in the past, they never went far enough. Josiah, as we will see, will be the one who goes and takes the reform to the best degree. And so he broke down the altars of the Baals in his presence. What does that mean? That means he didn't just sit in his office. What did he do? He went out and he participated in it. Now, just wrap your head around a leader participating and getting rid of evil. Don't you want a guy like this as a leader? To participate in removing evil, not promoting evil. He said that he did it in his presence. And the incense altars which were above them, he cut down. And the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images, he broke into pieces and made them dust and scattered them on the graves of those who had sacrificed. (laughs) This guy is all in. He did what no one had done before he not only broke them down, but he ground them into pieces so that no one could use it again. That's the difference in Josiah. Josiah went where other leaders did not go. In the, Even guys like Hezekiah, who was a good king, he didn't go as far as Josiah. And remember, how old is Josiah? Twelve. And he... <laughs> He is taking it pretty seriously. He also burned the bones of the priest on the altar and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. Not only did he get rid of it, he got rid of the people who were promoting the evil and he took them out. Don't get excited. Calm down. And so he did these in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, as far as Naphtali all around with axes. That means he took it to the areas in which he wasn't king. But by this time, the Assyrians have already come and destroyed Samaria and for the most part, the northern tribes. But he goes into those areas and he (laughs) helps bring right back. Verse 7, And when he had broken down the altar and the wooden images, notice it, it, Clarifies it for it. He had beaten the carved images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel, and he returned to Jerusalem. So he made sure as a leader that the work was done. He didn't just rely upon those. He said, hey, go out and do it. He watched it happen, and I don't know about you, but I would love to see the video of that. Maybe this kid, 12, by this time... 13, 14, maybe he's wielding an ax himself. You see, the Bible is very clear. It's not just words, it's deeds that are so important. So it's not enough just to say that you want revival. What are you actively doing about it? Amen? What are the deeds that you can, and I don't mean to say it this way, show somebody else that, hey, I'm actively trying to do something different. Not just say it. Because words are still cheap. It's about action. What if Jesus said, I really love you. Trust me. But the cross demonstrated his love towards us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That was action that was displayed for us. Well, in the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the temple... He sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, Manasseh, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Jehoahaz, the recorder, please note with me, to repair the house of the Lord. Now Manasseh, after he had started his reforms, he started to repair the temple, but it was not finished. And so he starts to repair the house of his God. Now when they came to Hilkiah, the high priest, they delivered the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, which the Levites who kept the doors had gathered from the hands of Manasseh, Ephraim, and the remnant of Israel from all of Judah and Benjamin, which he had brought back to Jerusalem. And then they put it into the hands of the foremen who had the oversight of the house of the Lord. And they gave it to the workmen who had worked in the house of the Lord to repair and to restore the house. And they gave it to the craftsmen and the builders to buy hewn stone and timber for the beams to the floors of the house, which the kings of Judah had destroyed. And the men did work, please note with me, faithfully. And their overseers were these guys. (laughs) But note with me, of whom were skillful with instruments, not only of music, right? but of craftsmen. God blessed these men and women to do this work. It was a gift from God, who were over the burden bearers, who were over the overseers, who did all the work in kind service, and some of the Levites who were the scribes and the offers officers and the gatekeepers. Now, when they brought out the money that they brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest, notice, found The book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. And then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. And so Shaphan carried the book to the king, bringing the king word, saying, All that I was committed to your servant they are doing. And they have gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord. And they have delivered it into the hands of the overseers and the workmen. And then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Thus it happened when the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes. Pause. Now, the kings were supposed to, remember in the law of Moses, to write their own copy of the law, to write it down and then read it year by year. What this tells us, and some commentators believe that this is the actual book of Moses that was found because it says the book of Moses. It probably wasn't a copy, but the actual actual written down from Moses. Now, note with me. The priest or the scribe finds it, he reads it, and he gives it to the king it was the responsibility for him to tell the politician the word of god and then the politician's job as we'll see the king was to write down a copy of it for himself but note with me the reaction of josiah and thus it happened verse 19 that when the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes every maid or minor revival of true faith has involved a rediscovery of the teaching of the Word of God. You might ask yourself, listen, we're part of Calvary Chapel and the Calvary Chapel movement that's been around since the 60s. What made Calvary Chapel stand out amongst all the other do- denominations? And it is simply this. It is not only the rediscovering of God's Word, but teaching the Bible all 66 books. Now, listen, you, you've been coming here for a while and you're like, yeah, Pastor, but, I mean, we're used to going through the But do you know how many people walk through our door on a Sunday or a Wednesday and they're visiting and they say, we've never heard anybody teach like that before ever? Happens all the time. We think that this is what happens normally in Christendom. It doesn't. This is rare. What's rare? Not only you all meeting on a Wednesday night, do you know, only 20 percent of the churches before COVID met on a midweek. So I don't want to take your crown away, but woohoo, right? It's pretty good. But also the amount of churches that take their people through the Bible. every once in a while, just every once in a while, we will get a pastor through our door that doesn't isn't a part of Calvary Chapel. And this has happened over the years. And he, he'll come up to me at the end of the service and tell me that he's a pastor. And I'll ask him, you know, like, number one, how did you find us? How did you walk through our door? I mean, going through the hood here, right? <laughs> the commercial hood. And, the, and he will say, I, I can't believe that you teach verse by verse. Because he has been taught that you can't do that in a modern church because people won't stick around for an hour message Or an hour and a half, like tonight. We've locked the doors. (laughs) That's why I think most people want to sit at home in their pajamas. They're like, I know he's going to go long. (laughs) Guys, revival is always tied to God's word. Listen to this. And yet, we have a lack of teaching God's word in our country. What does that tell us? It tells us that we have very surfacey Christians We don't have depth to them because they're not being fed and being taught. Paul says they're just being milk fed. And I don't know about you, but at some point when you're a kid, you're done with the milk, and then you get meat. Meat grows the brain. Protein grows the brain. I'm not even going to. Don't send me letters from you vegan people about bean sprouts. I don't want to hear it. (laughs) every major or minor revival of true faith has involved the rediscovering of God's Word. Everybody got that? That's for the last 2,000 years. Guys, there have been so many times in Christian history for the last 2,000 years that people were forbidden to read the Bible. Why do you think in the 1500s Martin Luther and what he did and Gutenberg and all of these people who got the Bible back into the hands of the common people, why that was so important? Why did a bunch of hippies change America in the 1960s? Because an overweight bald guy with a tight sweater and Costa Mesa taught them 66 books. It changed this country. It was called the Jesus Movement for a reason. People who you would not want to hang out with, God saved, transformed their life, and most of the Calvary pastors came out of that and today are teaching their people because an overweight, bald guy decided to love them and teach them the Word of God. I thank God for Pastor Chuck. And what he did, that he brought back God's word through the Bible teaching. And again, I I don't mean to say it this way, but thank God that you're here. Not because of me, but because we go through the Bible. And it isn't me just teaching you five points with the letter P in it. It's depth and it's real and you're getting books that you have never heard before. What's this Leviticus? Let's get people saved during the Old Testament? Yes. Wait till we get into the book of Revelation and Hebrews. Hebrews, Lord willing, i got to watch my time, will start next week. Read ahead. Heavy duty, what's coming up, what we're going to study. But it all comes back to, notice verse 19, The words of the law. The Bible. It is simply the Bible. Amos 8 says, There is a coming famine, not for bread, but for the hearing of the word of God. People are so hungry for truth in our country, and especially inside of the church there are hard times as a pastor. I don't want to sugarcoat it. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of whatever that goes on. But what allows me to go every single week and come here is when someone comes up to me and says that very thing. I've learned more today than I've learned in my church before decades. Well, that's just me opening up God's Word and taking us through the Bible. And I love to hear your excitement when you See a passage you've never seen before. You, you've heard history. Yes, history. And remember what God tells us even through the history books of God's word. Let's continue or I will not finish. And so the king commanded Hilkiah, Aachim, the son of Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan the scribe, And Asa, the servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, and for those who are left in Israel and Judah, concerning the words of the book that is found, for great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out upon us, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that was written in the book. That means Josiah heard and he heard those passages of, okay, if it, if you do this, it'll go well with you. But if you don't do good, then this will happen to you. So he wants them to go hear from God. And so, so verse twenty-two, Hilkiah and those uh, the king had appointed went to Huda. And, and again, ladies, if you're looking for names for your next child, Huda or Hulda however you want to say it, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tokuth, the son of Hazreth, the keeper of the wardrobe. So this is a, a woman who's married to the guy who's the keeper of the wardrobe. Everybody got that? But she's a prophetess, so God speaks through her. Notice in the second quarter, and they spoke to her to that effect. And she answered and said, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent me, or tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on the inhabitants, all the curses that are written in the book, which they have read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me, burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the words of their hand. Therefore, My wrath will be poured out on this place and not be quenched, which means you can't stop it. But as for the king of Judah, who sent to you to inquire of the Lord in this manner, you shall speak to him saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself, Before God, when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants, and you have humbled yourself before me, and you tore your clothes, and you wept before me, I also have heard you, said the Lord. Surely I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to the grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I bring upon this place and its inhabitants, And so they brought back word to the king. And so the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah, with all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites and all the people, notice great and small, and he read in their hearing, listen, all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. Now, it's probably just the first 5 books but listen it, can you imagine reading genesis to deuteronomy in one sitting we'll be doing that next week get ready <laughs> and so the leader the king he he anyone else find this beautiful is not afraid to read God's word and to declare it to the people and to tell them to read it. And so the king stood, verse 31, in his place and made a covenant before the Lord God to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all of his heart, with all of his soul and to perform the works of the covenant that were written in the book. Now, pause. Pause. He knows that the nation is. Listen, everybody, come back for a minute. He knows that the nation is going to be destroyed. And he doesn't just check out, what does he do? He challenges everybody to live right during the time of decline. Does that help anybody tonight? You wonder, Lord, what. What do you want me to do in the crazy that's going on right now? God wants us to follow the example of Josiah. The calamity may not come right now to us during our time, but that doesn't mean that we stop doing what we are doing, which is living a righteous life that God has called us to do, to be an example and to tell people about Jesus it would be real easy for us to just say, listen, we bought some land in Idaho and we're calling it the Ron Davidians. Get your dried soup. Right? We could totally check out of society. That's not what Josiah does. Not only does he in his heart say, I'm going to follow the Lord and I'm going to do what's right. I am. But now he tells everyone else that they need to follow the same example. Not giving up. (laughs) I was thinking about this because, you know, it takes us about six to seven years to go through the Bible here at CCMB. All right, this time a little bit longer uh, than last time. But think about what was going on seven years ago in our nation. That would be 2013. 2013 right? 13, 14. Who was an office during that time? What did our nation look like? We need to not give up, not lose heart, be courageous in the midst of giants and walled cities. I love Joshua. He is one of my favorites in the Old Testament. Be strong and be of good courage, he says. Don't lose heart and (laughs) let's come back to the Bible. And so the king stood in his place and he made a covenant before the Lord God to follow the Lord, to keep his commandments, his testimonies, his statutes with all of his heart, with all of his soul, to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin. I would like you to underline this phrase. Take a stand. That is a good leader. A good leader rallies people. A good leader challenges people. And I love this. Underline it, highlight it. Send it to somebody tomorrow. Take a stand. Take a stand for what, pastor? Well, for God's word and for us, the gathering together of his church. Take a stand. Don't get swallowed up by the things of the world or the propaganda that is nonstop. I heard the propaganda on the plane for 14 hours, seven there and seven back, constantly on the plane. If you love people, you'll do this. If you're so this narrative that they just bombard people one after another after another, don't lose heart. Take a stand. For such a time as this. <laughs> Esther, for such a time as this. Do you think that Esther's time was soft? Her whole the whole Jewish people were about to be erased from history. Take a stand. Such a time as this. And so the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. Thus Josiah removed all the abominations from the country that belonged to the children of Israel, and he made all who were present in the Lord diligently serve the Lord their God all of his days and they did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. Now, we'll get to it here, but listen. The prophets go to Josiah and tell him, just so you know, (laughs) your people are going to walk away from God when you're gone. That's what he knows. And yet he still does what he does. Knowing that the nation is going to go backwards after he leaves office. He knows that. He could have quit, but he didn't. What does he do? Verse 1, chapter 35. Now Josiah kept the Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem, and they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th day of the first month. And he set the priests in their duties and encouraged them for the service of the house of the Lord. And he said to the Levites who taught all Israel, who were holy to the Lord or set apart to the Lord, put the holy ark in the house of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, which he had built. And it shall no longer be a burden on your shoulders. Now serve the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, your God, and his people, Israel. By the way, this is a side note. I don't want to get off on this. I find it interesting that the king tells the priest that they need to serve God and the people. Anyone else? Like, hey, by the way, serve God and the people. Shocking. Prepare yourself according to your father's houses, according to your divisions. Follow the written instructions of David, king of Israel, and the written instructions of Solomon, his son. And stand in the holy place according to the division of their fathers and of their houses and of your brethren, the lay people, and according to the division, of the fathers' houses of the Levites. So slaughter the Passover offering and consecrate yourself and prepare them for your brethren that they may do according to the word of the Lord, notice, by the hand of Moses. And Then Josiah gave the lay people lambs and young goats from the flock, all of the Passover offerings and all who were present, so the number of them were 30,000 as well as 3,000 cattle, that were from, notice, the king's possession. And his leaders gave willingly to the people and to the priest and to the Levites, Hilkiah and Zechariah and Jael, rulers of the house of God, gave to the priest for the Passover offerings 2,600 and from the flock 300 cattle. And then from uh, Kohaniah... uh, The rest of these guys, they gave 5,000 of their flock and 500 cattle. And so the service, verse 10, was prepared and the priests stood in their places and the Levites and their divisions according to the king's command. And they slaughtered the Passover offering and the priests sprinkled the blood with their hands while the Levites skinned the animals. And they removed the burnt offerings that they might give them to the divisions of the father's houses and the lay people to offer to the Lord as it is written in the book of Moses. And so they did with the cattle and they roasted the Passover offering with the fire according to the ordinance. But the holy offerings they boiled in pots and cauldrons and in pans and divided them quickly amongst the lay people. And then afterwards, they prepared portions for themselves, for the priests, because of the sons of Aaron were busy in offering burnt offerings and fat until night. Therefore, the Levites prepared portions for themselves as for the priests, the sons of Aaron and the singers, the sons of Asaph were in their places according to the commandment of David and Asaph and Heman and Jethuthun, the King's seer, also the gatekeepers in each of their gate did not have to leave their position because their brethren, the Levites, had prepared a portion for that. Boy, that's so easy to go right over, isn't it? The guys in the gate towers, they didn't have to leave their post. Their brethren, they loved them. And they're like, hey, we're thankful that they're there. And they took food to them. And so all the service of the Lord was prepared, verse 16 that same day to keep the Passover and offer burnt offering on the altar of the Lord according to the commandment of King Josiah. And the children of Israel who were present kept the Passover at that time and the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days. There had been no Passover kept in Israel like that since the days of Samuel the prophet. And none of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as Josiah had kept with the priests and the Levites and all of Judah and Israel who were present and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And in the 18th year of his reign, Josiah kept the Passover. Verse 20. Now, you just want it to end with, and then Josiah rested with his fathers, right? Now, after this, Josiah had prepared the temple. Necho, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Carchemish by the Euphrates, and Josiah went out against him. This was part, at this time, there's a geopolitical struggle going on. Remember, we've got the Assyrians to the north. Who is our next new political power coming up? It is the Babylonians, and then we've got Egypt to the south. These are the three main players. And so as Assyria is declining and Babylon is rising, um, you can imagine if you're a declining nation, you want to get some support, right? And so the Assyrians had made an alliance with the Egyptians to protect them against this growing threat to the east namely the Babylonians. So you ask yourself, okay, well, then why are we getting in the middle of a geopolitical struggle that isn't our fight? You ever wondered that too? Josiah gets him in the middle of something that he ought not be in. Not only that, he's warned not to do it by God. Let's read. But he sent messengers to him. That's Necho, king of Egypt, sending messengers to Josiah. What have I to do with you, king of Judah? I have not come against you this day, but against the house of which I have war. For God commanded me to make haste, refrain from meddling with God, who is with me, lest he destroy you. Now, is Necho telling the truth? Well, whether uh, how he heard it or not is not the point. The point is, it actually is true. God can use secular people to accomplish his goal. He will say that of Cyrus. In fact, we're going to get to that, hopefully, tonight. Now, notice he says, refrain from meddling with God, who is with me lest he destroy you. Don't, this is great wisdom, mind your own business. Isn't that just wonderful advice for everybody? In fact, the Bible in the New Testament talks about busybodies going around and trying to get information all around. You know those types of people, we've already kicked them out of the church. Nevertheless, don't you hate when you read that? Josiah would not turn his face from him, but he disguised himself so that he might fight with him. And he did not heed the words of Necho from the, notice, who is it? From the mouth of God. What don't we read in this section? Students of the Bible, what don't we read? We don't read Josiah going to who? We don't see Josiah asking God what to do. He just simply reacts, and that can be very dangerous for us if we don't do that. So what will happen in our lives is what happens in Josiah life. You get that word, nevertheless. And so he came to the valley of Megiddo, and the archers shot King Josiah. Well, I thought he was disguised. You see, you can't disguise yourself from God. And the king said to his servants, Take me away, for I am severely wounded. And his servants, therefore, took him out of the chariot and put him on a second chariot that he had. And he brought him to Jerusalem. And so he did die and was buried in one of the tombs of his fathers. And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. Listen, Josiah didn't need to die. That, at the end of his life, was wasted. Why get in a battle that isn't your battle? God didn't bring a prophet to Josiah and say, listen, there's this geopolitical thing going on. Um, I want you to get get in the midst of the fight. He didn't tell him that. In fact, he told him through the mouth of a pagan, don't get in the fight. And yet he did it anyway. And what's the result? He went home early. I'm not saying Josiah isn't saved. He is saved. We're going to see him in heaven. Great reforms, buddy. Dumb thing at the end, but great reforms. And you know what he'll say to us? The same thing. We're not above it. We do really dumb things all the time. Don't don't think that we don't act like Josiah or like Manasseh or Hezekiah who asked for 15 more years and he should have had it. He should have just gone home to be with the Lord. Now, listen, Jeremiah also lamented for Josiah, and to this day all the singing men and the singing women speak of Josiah in their lamentations that they made it a custom in Israel, and indeed are they not written in the laments, in lamentations. Now, the rest of the acts of Josiah and his goodness. Listen to the Holy Spirit here. He's good. He did something dumb at the end, but for the most part, he was a good man according to what was written in the law of the Lord. Why was he good? Because he followed God's word. And his deeds from the first and to the last, indeed, are they not written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah? Now, Jeremiah, for the most part, as we will see here, is the one who is chronicling next chapter, last chapter, chapter 36, the decline of the nation. And so he was there for Josiah, and God allowed Jeremiah to witness everything that he witnessed. He was the eyes so that he would write down for future generations what he saw. And what he saw was the Spirit of God departing from the temple. (laughs) He's sitting opposite the temple mount, and he sees that. So Jeremiah is a wonderful book. Sadly, Jeremiah is one of, that's why they call him the weeping prophet. Never had any converts in his ministry. He was around simply to watch the decline of a nation. (laughs) I mean, think about that. You're like, "Whoa! I can't wait. This is great. I got the prophet job. This is awesome. The benefits are huge. Okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? I want you to watch and write down the decline Of a nation. Can I get another gig? That was his job. His job was to be around, to tell the leaders the truth, to be thrown in a miry pit, to be persecuted, but ultimately declare to us the truth of what he saw. And so the people of the land took Jehoiahaz, the son of Josiah, and made him king in his father's stead in Jerusalem. Now, Jehoiahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned how long? Three months. It's like he got impeached after he got elected. Oh. Let's see if this comes to play. Now, the king of Egypt deposed him at Jerusalem, and he imposed on the land a tribute of 100 talents of silver and of gold. And then the king of Egypt made Jehoiah his brother, Eliakim. you got to follow these. It's kind of confusing. Eliakim, king over Judah and Jerusalem, and changed his name to Jehoiakim. Why? What's wrong with his name? Huh? So we went from, oh, oh, let's do it again. The king of Egypt made his brother, Eliakim, king over Judah and Jerusalem, and he changed his name to Jehoiakim, and Necho took Jehoiahaz, his brother, and carried him off to Egypt. Okay. Mm-hmm. Verse 5. Now Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem and he did evil in the sight of the Lord his God. And then it's verse 6. Here he is. The one and only, top dog, big cheese, Nebuchadnezzar. King of Babylon came against him and bound him in bronze fetters and carried him off to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, this new empire, the Babylonian Empire, was concerned with Judah because of its strategic position in relation to the empires of Egypt and Assyria. And so if you're looking at the Middle East, where Israel is, where Egypt is, and where Assyria is, If you had Israel, you had now all of the routes. That is why Israel is literally at the the crossroads of the world because it is a great place. All world leaders have known that from Alexander the Great to the Caesars knew that, as well as Cyrus. Well, Nebuchadnezzar now focuses his attention and he knows that they are small, right? Assyria has for the most part taken the tooken that's good he had taken the northern tribes and now he sets up this vassal state the captivity of Judah took place in three stages if you're taking out and I don't want to I didn't want to get into you guys have done so well lately with history I just didn't want to do that to you tonight but you can go back, you can read Jeremiah, the uh, the other prophets, as well as kings and get a, a better understanding of what's going on. But there are three different deportations that Babylon did with Israel. In 605 B.C., this is what we're talking about here. Nebuchadnezzar enters Jerusalem and made Jehoiakim a vassal. That means it's a puppet regime. And he takes to Babylon A small group of men. Anybody know? You'll get a mint tonight. We just restocked. What young man was in the first group of captives? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so these first group of guys went to Babylon. It was very common... That if you were taking over a country, and by the way, this is why the Babylonians and later the Medes and the Persians, I, I hate to say this about a secular nation, but were so good in what they did, is because they incorporated the nations. That's not what Assyria did. Assyria came in and completely conquered and demoralized everybody and then just took everything back to Assyria. What the Babylonians did, and then later on the Medes and the Persians, they incorporated the culture and to the lesser part the religion, or for our purposes, some smart people into their culture, and it made them stronger because now they gained the wisdom of that nation. And that's what he did, Nebuchadnezzar, in the first go-around. He took the smartest and the brightest of the young men, And you can read Daniel to find out or listen to that online why he did what he did. That was in 605 B.C. In 597 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar again invades Jerusalem. He deported Jehoiachin and took others captive. Some believe at this time it was Ezekiel. And then finally in 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar He he had had enough, it's like the Romans in 70 A.D. Uh, That's all they can stands and they can't stands no more, right? And so in 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar destroys the temple and he took everyone but the poorest of the poor captive uh, to Babylon. So verse 6 is the first for us to see Nebuchadnezzar. And so Nebuchadnezzar, verse 7, also carried off some of the articles of the house of the Lord to Babylon And he put them into the temple of Babylon. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim, the abominations, what he did, and what was found against him, indeed are they not written in the books of the kings of Israel and Judah? And Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his place. And so Jehoiachin was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem three months and ten days. Woo. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, there is a little debate, and it's probably true from Kings to Chronicles. And remember, we believe that in the original documents, there are no errors. Everybody got that? But as these documents were copied, we think there was a, a copyist error. And we think the copyist heir is right here at eight years old. And and Kings tells us that he was 18. Now, certainly an eight-year-old could be evil. Amen, parents? (laughs) Eh, But probably not so like this. So it was more like that he was 18 years old. That, am I going to, is that going to affect my salvation? No. (laughs) Don't worry about that. And so... It did say that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And at the turn of the year, King Nebuchadnezzar summoned him and took him to Babylon with the costly articles from the house of the Lord, the temple, and he made Zedekiah, Jehoiakim's brother, king over Judah and Jerusalem. Now, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord his God. And he did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet. Oh, so the chronicler is telling us who the prophet is at this time. Again, Jeremiah. Who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I don't even have to go any further to know rebelling against Nebuchadnezzar is going to be bad who had made him swear an oath by God, but but notice he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart. Remember when Stephen said uh, that the the Jewish nation and the fathers, they were stiff-necked people, right? Remember that? He's taking it right from the chronicler. He said he was stiff-necked and he rebelled and he hardened his heart against turning to the Lord God of Israel Israel notice he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the God of Israel. So when people are hardened like that they it, it is the picture of turning your back against God. He knows what's right. He is the king of Judah. He knows what the word says and yet he turns his back. Moreover, All the leaders and the priests and the people transgressed. Don't you hate to read this? More and more according to the abominations of the nations and defiled the house of the Lord which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. And the Lord God of their fathers sent warning to them by his messengers. That's Jeremiah. How many warnings have people got on planet earth for the last 6,000 years? Plenty, even this last year, plenty of warning. (laughs) Notice rising up early and sending them because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. I I don't know about you, but what amazes me about God is his love and his long suffering and his compassion towards those who are in... Total rebellion against him. Amen. I'll wait. Doesn't that amaze you? You got a king like this who made the people sin more and more. And yet because of God's love for his people. That is why. When people today inside of the church says that God is done with Israel. I look back and go. Oh no. (laughs) Because today. Today is not as worse as it was back then. And God still loved them then and still sent his prophets because he loved them and he had compassion on them. But, as always, they mocked the messengers of God, despised his word, banned him from Facebook, and scoffed his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people. Please note with me how tragic the Spirit says, for there was no remedy. Guys, there's no remedy for people rebelling against the Lord aside from the blood of the Lamb. There is no remedy. You can't come back from that unless Jesus Christ is in your life. Therefore, he brought against them the kings of the Chaldeans who killed their young men with the edge of the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on the young men or the virgin on the aged or on the weak, and he gave them all into his hand. That means that God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to do what he was doing. The secular king was measuring out judgment against Israel. Now, Israel's not done, right? Who's over in Babylon right now? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember that section of the, the giant statue? What did those boys not do? They did not bow down to the idol of government. Hear that, church. Go reread Daniel. Let those boys stir in your heart that we would not bow to the man, (laughs) to the government, but we would stand for Jesus above all else. Well, pastor, that means we might be thrown in the fire. All righty. Right on, right on. Then so be it but I will not bow before government. I only bow before the true and the living God. That's Jesus. But I see way too many people bowing. Daniel is there. Ezekiel is there. Later on, (sighs) later on, only about 50,000 will come back into the land because they will be so comfortable in their new land. Well, let's continue. Sorry, I was going off on Daniel. I, I want to open it up and teach it right now. I love that section. I love, and I don't mean it this way, I love how they stood toe-to-toe with the king and they could care less what he said or threatened them with. They just said, look, you can throw us in the fire. Two things are going to happen. One, our God is able is able." to deliver us out of the fire, or two, we're going home, but we're never going to bow to you. Those were teenage boys who said that. That warms my heart. (laughs) Just like this young Josiah who made reforms. Amen. Well, then finish, pastor. Okay, I'm trying. Stop talking to yourself. Okay. And all the articles of the house of God, great, great and small, the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the treasuries of the king and of his leaders, they all took back to Babylon. And they burned the house of God, broke down the walls of Jerusalem, burned all of its palaces with fire and destroyed all of its precious possessions. Okay. Now, I don't want to get into a whole thing because I'm totally out of time, but a lot of people ask right now, anybody know what the great question of, of what article did Nebuchadnezzar take or not take from the temple? Where's the Ark of the Covenant? Now, we all know that Indiana Jones found it later. <laughs> the tradition, Jewish tradition tells us, and I can't tell you if it, how true or not true, is that Jeremiah was told by God to take it out of the temple before they came in and destroyed the temple. And it's hidden somewhere. Now, a lot of people like to think it's in Ethiopia, right? Uh, we don't know. I think, personally, that it will pop up again. I also think that Noah's Ark will pop up again during the great global warming that's coming, not by man, but by God in the tribulation. We're not here. Let's keep going. So, they take all of these precious things, they burn the house of God, it's all broken down, and those who escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him until his sons and until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. Now remember, the writer of the chronicler, the chronicler here, the writer, he is writing after they are back in the land. So he obviously is going to bring in Persia from which they left. Notice, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths, as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbaths to fulfill 70 years. Now, if you want to know why the nation of Israel were ultimately taken away into captivity, that's your verse. Highlight it, underline it. Because God said in the law of Moses that you will work the land for six years, you will let the land go fallow for the seven years. You will do this in uh, perpetuity, which means it's an everlasting covenant. Do you know that they never did that? And God said, I'm going to let my land have the rest. And so, hold on. Let me read to you from Leviticus chapter 26. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lays desolate and you are in your enemy's land. Listen, Leviticus, God knew what was going to happen because you know he's, are you ready for it? God. He knew what was going to happen. So he writes this in Leviticus. You would think at some point someone would have read it, read the Bible. He says, then the land shall enjoy its Sabbath as long as it lies desolate and you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall have rest and enjoy its Sabbath. As long as it lays desolate, it shall rest for the time it did not rest on your Sabbath which you dwelt in the land. So Jeremiah speaks here of the 70 years in which it lays foul. Now, why is that so important? Because the children of Israel who are in Babylon and later on in Persia, they should know that they are only there for how long? 70 years. And yet, very few of them come back into the land. So, read Jeremiah 25. And 29, and you'll see how uh, Jeremiah uh, describes that. Now, last two. Now, the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, so Jeremiah prophesies that this will happen, (laughs) stirred up the spirit of King Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all of his kingdom And also put it in writing. By the way, uh, the Medes and the Persians put everything in writing as we know from that, and you can't go against that. They couldn't make a, a law null and voiding that. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, and all the inhabitants of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me. This is Cyrus saying this. And he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you and all of his people. May the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. Now, just one verse. Turn the next page. The next page is Ezra chapter 1, isn't it? Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord, I'm sorry, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled that the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all of his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says the king of Persia, To all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me and he has commanded me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. The chronicler ends with them coming back into the land. It is an encouragement for them that God did not leave them in captivity, but He delivered them out of captivity. That is always the encouragement that God did not leave the Jews in Egypt, but He delivered them, and He brought a deliverer, Moses, and the Passover was about God passing over their sins. And so... So too Jesus. He has taken us out of bondage, out of the slave market of sin, and out of Egypt, which is a type and a picture of the world. To pass over our sins. And his blood is that sacrifice for us. His blood is. John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of this world. Well, excited that you're done? you just finished Chronicles. Aren't you excited? My radio people have been hounding me for weeks. They're like, when are you going to be done? We need production. So they should be happy I'm done with that. But read ahead. We are going to dive into a heavy book. It's called Hebrews. Read ahead chapter one. Just so you know, we will not get through chapter one. We only will probably get into a handful of verses. Lord willing, next week, do not lose heart, church. Our King is coming. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our journey through the Chronicles. Lord, that we would learn from history. I know some people just don't like that word. They don't like history, but Lord, we are doomed to repeat history if we do not learn and if we do not turn directions, even in our own nation. But, Lord, we, we will be strong and good, be of good courage because you have overcome the world. And it doesn't matter what man does to these bodies because he cannot take the Spirit. So, Lord, thank you, and thank you for our time tonight, and thank you for those serving around the building. In Jesus' name, amen.